How many of y'all, it's been so long since you were in school, you can't even remember school? <laughs> so instead of giving you a paper pop quiz, we're going to do an audible pop quiz. So if you know the answer to this question, do not say it out loud, okay? Don't shout it out. Keep it to yourself. But I want to ask a few questions, and I just want to see, first of all, Obviously, other people are going to see whether you raise your hand or not. There's no shame in whether you know the answer to these questions or not, all right? But I want to just see kind of where we're at today. So we're going to check some of your Bible quiz, biblical literally, liter literacy skills for just a moment, okay? So let me ask you a question. If you know the answer to this question, raise your hand. If you don't, don't fake it till you make it. Don't cheat. Don't lie. We're in the house of God, all right? So don't raise your hand if you don't know the answer. But here's the first question. How old was Jesus when he died? If you know the answer to that question, raise your hand. Don't Google it while you're sitting there. I figured most people probably knew that. Let me ask you this question. When Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he walked around on the earth and did some cool stuff for a period of time before he ascended into heaven. How many days was he alive on the earth after he passed away? If you know the answer, raise your hand. A few less, all right? And let me ask you this question, big question. This is the main question. How many of you know what the Great Commission is? Raise your hand. A few more, but not as many as you would think. When I ask the question, okay, here are the, here are the answers. How old was Jesus when he died? That was not a very confident answer. How old was Jesus when he died? <laughs> 33, all right. If you heard the person next to you and you didn't know, now you know. 33, okay. Um, how long was Jesus alive on the earth before he ascended into heaven after he was resurrected? 40 days. All right. And then the main question today is what is the Great Commission? Now, before we answer this, I asked our young people who have been raised in church pretty much their whole life, who live in Christian homes and read the Bible and know Jesus, what the Great Commission was. And here's some of the answers I got. IDK. IDK, but it sounds important. Um, your mom. Um, something Jesus said. I got a lot of IDK, IDK, but it sounds important. Uh, you know, um, but I would say that the Great Commission is probably something that's pretty important in, in our Christian faith. And it's not something we preach about and talk about a lot, even really in, in Pentecostal circles, because we kind of focus more on, like, uh, the worship and the gifts and the power. And, um, you know, you go to a lot of Baptist churches, and they're all about evangelism and passing out tracts. You know, how many of y'all know what a tract is? Not like the thing you run around on outside. Look, y'all are going to laugh at this. I asked, I asked our young people one time if they knew what a tract was, and somebody said, you mean like a hair tract? You know, like, and, and, and this, is not a, this is not coming from a place of judgment or from a place of, like, condemnation. This is from a place of today. We need to be more aware of the Great Commission. So we're going to talk about two things. We're going to talk about awareness concerning the Great Commission this week. And then next week we're going to talk about action. But it's important for us to be aware of what the Great Commission is. So we know that Jesus was alive on the earth, right? He, he lived for... 33 years, did some incredible things in that period of, of, of time when he was on the earth. His ministry lasted for how long? Three to three and a half years, right? So while he did this ministry, he did some incredible things. He had followers, right? He called people and, and he would say, Tanner, come follow me. I'll make you a fisher of men. Right? He would say, Harrison, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And, and he gave you the same call. Right? He said, Mr. Keith, come follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. And so if this is the call of Jesus, my question for us today, how long has it been since you've been fishing? Right? You know? And so, like, this is the call for us as disciples and followers of Jesus is that he wants us, he has commissioned us, he has called us to be fishers of men. And so he lives on the earth, he, he fulfills every promise, he does every work of the Father, all these things, right? He's, he's crucified. He dies. He was buried in a tomb. Y'all know this, right? And he was raised how many days later? He was raised how many days later? Okay, we got it. It's not a three, maybe? Uh, three. And then he walks on the earth for, for, 
40 days and he's doing crazy stuff, man. He's like walking through walls and showing up in the rooms of people and he's showing himself alive, the Bible says, by many infallible proofs. And so in other words, if you had doubt, he said, I'm about to blow your doubt up and I'm going to walk up in your space and show you, look, doubt this, right? I'm here. I'm standing here. And that's what Jesus does. And, and so he, he did that. And then he's getting ready to ascend into heaven. And it's like the last thing he says before he leaves may be a pretty important thing. How many of y'all have ever been around someone before they pass? You know, and they're like, they're realizing I'm about to step into eternity. And the weight of that hits them. And they begin to say some things maybe they wish they had said. And, and say something that's very important to them. Jesus is giving his last words to us before he leaves the planet. And I think it's probably a, a pretty important thing for us. Amen. So this is the Great Commission in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations or all peoples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Come on, somebody thank God that he is with us always. He never leaves us. Come on, give him praise. Amen. So now you can tell everybody, I know what the Great Commission is. All right? You can tell, I told the kids, how many of y'all have kids in the youth group? I told them to go home and tell you they know what the Great Commission is. I don't know if they did or not. Most of the time I give them a message and it doesn't get relayed to you. It's okay. But now we know what the Great Commission is. So probably first step in fulfilling the Great Commission is to know what it is. Right? If you're going to do something, you got to know what it is. And so today I want to help us to be aware of the Great Commission. We mentioned the harvest season. And we're, we are really in not only the season of fall um, chronologically and seasonally, but I believe we're in a season of harvest. And, and I, I sent out a message this week from Pastor, a video we put on our YouTube channel, um, him declaring that we're in this season of harvest. And I believe that we're in this season of harvest right now. Um, beginning to see God do some incredible things in your life personally, in our life corporately. Um, and, and when God begins to do things, he always kind of starts them under the surface first. You know, Harrison likes to watch YouTube videos, and he watches these videos sometimes, and a lot of times he likes to click on them, and sometimes he doesn't even know what he's clicking on. But he clicked on this one, and it was this little kid doing a science project, and he said something about the anatomy of a tsunami, and how a tsunami starts. And they said, before you ever see a wave on the surface, there has been a shifting of the earth, a moving of the plates, or even a volcano under the surface that begins to erupt. And then once that thing reaches the surface, there is a wave that is so big and so powerful, it literally demolishes buildings and cities and changes the way the earth looks from a satellite. And so God always starts something deep on the inside of you first. And so if you don't see it on the outside, don't worry because God's doing it on the inside. And as that thing begins to bubble up and, and come over, then we see that. And you want it, you want it to happen that way because it's just, if it's just surface, it won't last. But if it's deep on the inside, it's something that will remain. Even when you don't feel like it, you still burn for God. And even when you're not really in the mood, you still want to worship Jesus because you have a love for him deep on the inside. And so we thank God that's what he's doing in this harvest season. But I want to remind you of a prophetic verse that God gave us at the beginning of the year. We are so quick to move from one thing to the next. And I want to remind you today, there may be some promises and words from God that he's given you that, he, that you may have forgotten about that he hasn't forgotten about. And so when God gives you a word, a prophetic word, you've got to hold on to that word and say, God, I'm going to begin to declare this word and speak this word and say it until I see it. Amen. And so this was a prophecy, a word of God that he gave us earlier in the year in Jeremiah 33, 6 through 9. And, and I believe that we need to stir our faith to believe God that the city of Conway would be a kingdom city. 
the, the, the city of Conway, because we are here, not that, not that we're like puffing ourselves up, but because we're believing God that in us and through us, he wants to establish his kingdom, that Conway can be a kingdom city. That it would look less like the earth and more like heaven. Amen. And this is what the Bible says in Jeremiah 33, 6 through 9. But now take another look. I'm going to give this city a thorough renovation. Working a true healing inside and out. I'm going to show them life whole, brimming with blessings. I'll restore everything that was lost to Judah and Jerusalem. I'll build everything back as good as new. I'll scrub them clean from the dirt they've done against me. I'll forgive everything they've done wrong, forgive all their rebellions, and Jerusalem will be a center of joy and praise and glory for all the countries on the earth. They'll get reports on all the good that I'm doing for her. They'll be in awe of the blessings I'm pouring on her. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to declare this over Conway, amen, that Conway will be a place of great joy, that Conway will be a a place of great life, that that Conway will be brimming with blessings, that that Conway will be a place where he comes, and, and if you don't live in Conway, you live in Greenbrier, Valonia, Mayflower, this area, that God will do something in this area where he is, there's just radical repentance and radical forgiveness and and radical running to God where he's cleaning the the dirtiest of the dirtiest up and, and bringing the ones that we never thought could get saved. He's bringing them in and doing this work. And he wants to do it. He wants to do it and he wants to do it through you. I want to say that again with boldness and with faith. He wants to do this and he wants to do it through you. And I I just want to stir your faith that in this season of harvest, for you to begin to believe for that. And really believe God to do it in your personal prayer time. When we come together here corporately, begin to believe this and declare this. When I go to my job, I go to my job and I'm establishing the kingdom of God in my job. When I go to my school, I'm not just going there to get good grades and, and graduate. I'm going there to establish the kingdom of God. When I go to the gym, when I go to the golf course, when I go to TJ Maxx, when I go to Hobby Lobby with my wife, not by myself. <laughs> I did go to Michael's one time by myself, and I was like, I can't do this again because I don't know anything. But, man, activate your faith that God wants to do this. Amen. So we're going to talk about the Great Commission. Talk about awareness, all right? So as disciples of Jesus, we must be aware of the importance of the command that he gave us to fulfill the Great Commission. There there really are three relationships as believers that we have um, that that are areas of importance, areas of ministry, the places that matter for believers. First, obviously, is our relationship with God. Every one of you as a believer have a relationship with God. The second is our relationship with one another and with the the church, the body of Christ. We have a relationship with one another. We're a family of faith. We're not just church attenders that come to a service. We are a family of faith. And and I want you to hear that and know that and feel that, that that's what we are. That's why we exist. And number three, um, you have a relationship with the world or you have a ministry to the world. And I want to put before you today, I heard Bill Johnson say it this way, that, that one of these is time sensitive. Right, your, your relationship with God and with the body of Christ will continue for an eternity. But there's some people on the earth that do not know him, <coughs> excuse me, that will not hear about him unless you tell him. And, and that thing is time sensitive. Because if they don't hear before they go, their time is up. Right? And so we have a part to play. We have a role to play in establishing the kingdom of God and fulfilling the great commission on the earth. And so I want us to to hear this today. Number one, let's talk about um, what the Great Commission really is. This is the Lord's primary command and instruction and task, listen to this, along with the authority to carry it out. This command applies to all of his followers of every generation. So in other words, being a Christian is not about you just coming in here and sitting in the row. Being a Christian is not about you just trying to make it to heaven. You being a Christian is not about being able to check the box on the little uh, census form that I am a Christian. Like, it's more than that. That that you play a part in fulfilling this great commission. The primary purpose of Christ's commission is to make disciples. Make disciples. 
what is a disciple? A disciple is a disciplined learner and follower of Jesus who lives by his commands and who is continually growing in their relationship with him. It's our goal here at the Church Alive not to create a church following and church attenders, but to raise up disciples. Because there's a big difference in a church attender and a disciple. There's a lot of people that attend church that have nothing to do with discipleship. Right? There's, especially in the south, man. Like, like if you go to the west coast, if you go to the northeast, you go to different parts of the country, when you get out of the Bible belt, they're not trying to fake it. Right? If they don't want to go to church, they just don't go to church. We go to church because our mama and them always told us we had to go to church on Sunday. We don't go to church on Sunday. God's going to be mad at us and hell's real hot. Right? But I think the Father would even rather you, I actually I know, because the Bible says he would rather you be hot or cold instead of lukewarm. And so I think that there's a big difference in church attenders and disciples. God wants us to raise up disciples. It's interesting here that to make disciples is really the only direct command he gives in this passage. Because we, we, we a lot of times, you know, in, in, in church life and church leadership, we take portions of scripture and we come up with these cool cliches and like things to get you motivated. And that's fine, you know, that's, that's cool. But sometimes we come up with these things. And, and so we really, a lot of times, if you've heard the Great Commission, there's a lot of emphasis on the word go. You know, it's like you got to go, you got to go, you got to go. And really, um, the word go could be translated as not just go, but as you are going. So in other words, discipleship and disciple making should be a part of your life every day. That you don't make a special, uh, a special area that's for going and making disciples. And I go and make disciples over here and I go to work over here. I go and make disciples when I go on the mission trip in the summer and I go do other stuff other times. No, you're supposed to make disciples every day, everywhere, every place you go. It should be a, as much a part of your life as a believer, as praying, as worshiping, as, as coming to the Lord in the house of God that you are called to be a disciple maker everywhere, every day. So in other words, disciple making should be something you do in your everyday Christian walk. Listen to this. This is not about church growth. And you're like, whoa, what do you mean it's not about church growth? Yes, the church will grow because of the Great Commission, but the goal is not just church growth. Because what happens sometimes is we get so caught up on making converts that we fail to make disciples. The, the, the goal is not to see how many people can I get to pray the prayer. Because you can get somebody to pray the prayer and never step into discipleship. You can get somebody to come in here and say, uh, I'm scared because of hell and you know, I, I want to pray the prayer. But then never really surrender their life to the Lord. Never really have an effort in their heart to say, I fully surrender to you, God. I submit my will to you, God. Come and be the Lord of my life, right? And so I think sometimes we've even cheated people and said, look, pray the prayer and that's it. That's good enough. Pray the prayer and see you later. That's not it. He said, go and make disciples. It's not about church growth. Sometimes we even, we, because we want to feel good about a certain number of people, that, that we'll do things to get people to come in. And to pray the prayer and just say, go through the motions and not really even put them in the place of discipleship because we just want to feel good about numerical growth. And then what happens in that process is we build a kingdom that's not God's kingdom. We build our own kingdom. Because we want to feel good about what we're leading and, and we are um, sometimes, our, our worth is found in how many people are you bringing to the Lord. But it's not about how many people you're bringing to the Lord. It's about how many disciples are you making? We cannot think about the lost as a number. We can't think about the lost as a notch on our belt, right? Effective evangelism cannot be separated from true discipleship. And so they may come and pray a prayer, which obviously we need them to do, right? But that can't be where we leave them. They may have an encounter with you where you say, come to church, and they come in here and they experience God. Um, but it's, it's lazy and selfish just to leave them in that place. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples. How did Jesus make disciples? And this is what we're going to talk about next week. I don't want to get ahead. But he literally poured his life into 12. 
He spoke to masses. He ministered to masses. But he literally poured his life into 12. Really, he really poured himself really strongly into three. And so if we were to look at your lives as individuals, are there three people that you're discipling? Are there, are there three people that you're pouring yourself into and showing them, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Jesus? The other day we were outside playing, and uh, Harrison and I, and he, he had been in the mud a little bit, and, uh, and so I was like, hey, let's take our shoes off before we go in. And so I took my shoes, and I put them by the back door. He took his shoes off, and instead of putting them next to mine, he put his shoes in mine. <laughs> but it was in that moment, like the Lord said, Watch how you're walking because he's walking where you're walking. He's walking how you're walking. And so it's the same thing with us fulfilling the Great Commission. That It's not just saying, you know, hey, Jesus is good. God is great. And it is because the kingdom of message is good. But, but it's not about just saying, here you go and see you later. No, it's about walking with someone through this process of discipleship. Taking someone through the highs and the lows and the goods and the bads and learning how to really follow after Jesus. Learning what the word of God means. It's, it's spending time. It's, it's expensive to make disciples. It's easy to just preach someone the message. But it's, it's expensive to walk with someone. It's time consuming. It, it requires part of you. And that's, that's where true growth and, and solid growth begins to happen. That's how the kingdom of God was established in the earth, was through disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And so the Great Commission is not about us making converts and us growing the church alive. The Great Commission is about us fulfilling the commandment of God and establishing the kingdom in the earth. And in turn, a consequence of that is that the church alive does grow. It's a natural consequence because you're discipling. If everyone in this room was discipling three people that they brought to church today, we wouldn't have room enough in the room. Seriously, we wouldn't have room enough for all the people. We would have to have more chairs. And so what I'm saying to us today is there's, there is a, a natural pattern of growth that Jesus was trying to describe to us here, that he could establish his kingdom on his own. But he chooses to do it through us. There's a part we play, and we have to be aware of that. Let's look at Matthew 9, 35 through 38. It says this. Jesus walked throughout the region with the joyful message of God's kingdom realm. Because how many of you know that God's kingdom was good news? Righteousness, man. How many of you know that God's kingdom was good news? Yeah. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost is good news. Since he taught in their meeting houses and wherever he went, he demonstrated God's power by healing every kind of disease and illness. Amen. When he saw the vast crowds of people, Jesus' heart was deeply moved with compassion because they seemed weary and helpless, like wandering sheep without a shepherd. He turned to his disciples and said, The harvest is huge and ripe, but there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, plead with the owner of the harvest to thrust out many more reapers to harvest his grain. So the second thing I want to tell you, now that we are aware of what the Great Commission is, we have to be aware of the fact that we have a role to play in the Great Commission and establishing the kingdom of God on the earth. You absolutely have a role to play in that. Just because you're not a minister of the gospel. Just because you're not standing on a stage behind a, a pulpit or holding a microphone or a part of the worship team, every single one of you, if you are a disciple of Jesus, you are called to be a disciple maker. Amen. That if you are a Jesus follower, you must be a disciple maker. God has given you influence into people's lives that I will never see and I will never touch but you will. There are people on your job and people in your family, people on your block, right? People um, at, at Walmart that you know that I don't know. And, and so I, I'm not going to reach them, but you will. 
That's the way that God has designed this thing, that you have a role to play. You have a part to play. And if we don't step in and play that part and fulfill that role, there are missing pieces in the puzzle. And so some of what God is wanting to establish and some of what he is wanting to do is not being accomplished, not because we're not preaching good enough and not because the music's not good enough, not because our programs aren't good enough, but because we aren't doing our part. Like I said before, like this is not a, uh, a judgment or like get it together kind of message. This is a raise in awareness. Like, man, like I'm, this is what I'm missing. And there is a fulfillment that will come alive on the inside of you that you won't get any other way unless you start to fulfill this great commission. Let me ask this question today. And you don't have to answer it. You can just think about it. But how many of you in the room have ever personally led someone to Jesus? I think this is something we used to focus on when I was even a kid, not that long ago, growing up, that, that we focused on teaching people how to share their faith, showing people how to go about making disciples. But I think if we were to be honest today and ask the question, how many people in the room have personally led someone to Jesus, we may be shocked at the number of people that have not personally led someone to Jesus. And it's important for us to do this because if you have encountered Jesus the way I've encountered Jesus and if you have come into contact with him and, and he set you free from the things he set you free from, and he gave you joy when you had none. And he gave you life when you had none. And he gave you peace when you had none. Wouldn't it be a secondary consequence that when you see people that are helpless and hopeless, you want to give them what you got? And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, as I looked on them, I saw them with, and my heart was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them in their real condition. In this world that we live in today, sometimes we see people, we're really good in the Western world at faking it. Instagram life is fake life. Look, you see a snapshot that takes a millimeter of a second of someone smiling, and as soon as that picture is over, they're back to their old depressed self. You know, like really, like it's a, I love it, these family photos, and it's like everybody's smiling and so well-dressed, and the little toddlers like look like they just walked out of a Dillard's ad. And I promise you five seconds later, they're pulling their shirt off, and they're taking their shoes off, and they're slamming their sister with boogers, and one of them's crying, one of them pooped their pants, right? Like that's reality, you know? But we live in this world where because of social media, media and everything being in the spotlight and all this stuff going on that, that we feel like we have to put this facade up. And, and Jesus, he, he saw through it. And he said, look, I see them in their real condition. I see really what's happening in their heart. They're, they're helpless and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. And if that doesn't describe the condition of our culture today, I don't know what does. Helpless and hopeless like sheep without a shepherd. Looking for direction looking for care. What does a shepherd do? He directs, he cares, he provides. They're like sheep without a shepherd. So it's important for us to be a harvester. The truth is the world needs you. The truth is the people on your job need you. The people at your school need you. The people that you walk by down the aisle in the grocery store need you. And they need you not only just to share the message of the good news, but to be a disciple maker. Amen. We must be aware that it's God's desire that we share the good news, witness, and make disciples. Disciples of Jesus are always disciple makers. God wants you to take this message of the gospel across cultural lines, across racial lines, across geographic lines, there's no place the message of the gospel and the good news should not be preached. So we have to be aware that we have a part to play in this, that, that we really do need to partner with God in establishing his kingdom in the earth. The third thing is, as Brother Otis comes here and we get ready to close this out for today, is that we have to be aware of the condition of the world around us. There's something that begins to happen on the inside of you as a Jesus follower when you begin to love people the way Jesus loves people. It's impossible for you to love Jesus and not have a heart of love for people. 
Listen, I know people are difficult and people act stupid sometimes and people do dumb stuff and they say dumb stuff and they act crazy, right? But I question your love for God if you tell me you struggle loving people. Because he said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and the second which is like it, like, it's kind of like not even 1A, it's so close to 1, it's like 1 and just a little bit, is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so it's impossible for you to love God and not love people. As messed up and as jacked up as they are, as annoying as they are, right, as, as weird as they are, you've got to love them. I was listening to a message from a great giant in the faith and, uh, just a few days ago, and he was talking about how that he was able to be around like, like Oral Roberts and Billy Graham and um, some of these great men of God of old in their, in their final moments. And he asked them a question. He said, if you could do anything better at the end of your life, what it would be? And he said, resoundingly, each one of them said this, I wish my love life was better. I wish I loved more. Not love life like with your spouse. Some of you are like, what? Love life? Hello. I wish my love for people was greater. Because he said, they will know you are my disciples by what? How you love. And we just say we quit there. How you love. No, no, no. How you love one another. Right? How you love the person in your family that wears you out. How you love your neighbor. How you love the guy that pops up on the news that said he molested a three-year-old. It's about to get real here for a second. Because I think this is what we do. We see stuff like that and we say the gospel can't reach them. They need grace more than anyone. They need forgiveness and deliverance from that demonic spirit that would make them do that more than anyone. So when we see the lost, how do we see them? Do we see them as disgusting? How could they do that? Because I don't think Jesus looked at people that way. When he saw them, he saw them with the heart of compassion. When you turn on the news, let me ask you this question, and you hear these reports about all these deplorable, nasty things that people do. Does your mind automatically go to judgment? Because I know sometimes mine does. I'm like, that dude needs... They need, you know, they deserve this, right? Boy, I would give them this, you know, whatever. And, and then, man, but with Jesus? Because I'm glad I didn't get what I deserved, right? And so when Jesus saw them, he saw them with a heart of compassion. And so let me ask you today, what lens are you looking at the world around you through? Do you see them selfishly? Do you, do, you, do you see the guy under the bridge holding the sign that may be trying to con you out of a few dollars as a con? Or do you see them as someone, regardless of what they're doing and how they're doing it, they need an encounter with the kingdom of God? Right? He said he saw them with eyes of compassion. The people on your job, how do you see them? Do you see them through eyes of compassion? And do you see them as the harvest? Because when you begin to see that way, you realize exactly what Jesus said in this message. He said the harvest is ripe. People that are candidates for needing an encounter with the kingdom of God, that number is astronomical. That if literally everyone in this city begin to get saved, we don't have enough buildings to hold them all, right? We're going to talk about this next week, you know, like it's way easier to minister to church people. But he said go to the lost sheep. He said go to the sick. Go to the messed up. Go to the broken. And I'm telling you the gospel is enough. The kingdom of God is enough. And so I want the Holy Spirit to begin to raise our awareness today and begin to shift our vision to see the world around us, watch this, the way he sees them. That we need to see everyone 
not just lost people, everyone. We need to see them the way he sees them. And we need to interact with him the way he would interact with them. So if you're struggling today with having a heart of compassion, let me put this before you. Just take a moment and begin to remember what Jesus rescued you from. That if you're struggling sometimes with judgment when you look at the world around you, take a step back and say, wait a minute, I'm not such a saint myself. You know, like I don't really have it all together either. And if God can do it for me, he can do it for them. If he can deliver me, he can deliver them. And sometimes you need to remember your testimony. You need to remember what God set you free from. You need to remember that he broke every chain and he washed away every sin and stain. Look, the secret stuff that nobody else knows about. And truthfully, you don't need to tell anybody about it. There's some stuff you don't need to tell people about. Because sometimes we live in this place of reminding God of things he forgot about. Because he, for, if you asked him to forgive you, you repented, you put it under the blood, it's like it never even happened. He erased it from his book. And so, but listen, it's important for us to remember his goodness towards us. And as we see the world around us say, they need an encounter with his goodness, just like I needed an encounter with his goodness. This is what the Bible says in 1 Timothy 1, 13 through 17. I want you to close your eyes with me and hear this. Mercy kissed me, even though I used to be a blasphemer a persecutor of believers, and a scorner of what turned out to be true. There's some, I want to insert this, there's some people in your life that are vehemently opposed to the gospel. Don't give up. Don't quit. The power of God is good enough to set them free. A scorner of what turned out to be true. I believe they'll come to a place as you minister the gospel to them, that they'll realize this was true. This was the good news. He says, I was ignorant and didn't know what I was doing. I was fooled with such incredible grace. I'm sorry, I was flooded with such incredible grace, like a river overflowing its banks, until I was full of faith and love for Jesus, the anointed one. I can testify that the word is true and deserves to be received by all. For Jesus Christ came into the world to bring sinners back to life. Even me, the worst sinner of all. Yet I was captured by grace so that Jesus Christ could display through me the outpouring of his spirit as a pattern to be seen for all those who would believe in him for eternal life. Because of this, my praises rise to the king of all the universe who is indestructible, invisible, and full of glory. The only God who is worthy of the highest honors throughout all of time and throughout the eternity of eternities. Amen. I want you to stand with me all over the room. Put your Bible down, your phone down, all the stuff you got in your hands. and We're going to take a moment and respond to this. And this is what I would like us to do. First, I want us to pray that the Holy Spirit would begin to give us what the old church called a burden for the lost. That God would give us a passion for souls. And that that passion would be motivated purely by what the, what the old people used to say, that the Lamb of God would receive the reward of his suffering. That our motivation is not anything less and not anything more than God receiving what belongs to him. That our motivation is purely to establish the kingdom of God in the earth, to see the lost saved, to see depression broken off, to see suicide broken off, to see drug addiction and, and sickness and disease and cancer. Have an intersection with the kingdom of God. And that the kingdom of God would be established in this earth. 
that the kingdom of God would be established in Conway and Greenbrier and Mayflower and Bigelow and Little Rock. God, that, 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 that this would be an epicenter of revival and awakening and renewing and people coming into the kingdom of God and disciples making disciples. So I want us to pray today that God would give us that burden, that he would help us to be more aware of our responsibility to fulfill the Great Commission. So I want you to do this with me. Just lift your hands all over the room, and let's pray together for this today. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stirring of God that we feel in this room today. Come on, you pray with me. Don't just listen to me pray. The stirring of God that we feel in this room today to establish the kingdom of God in the earth. We just say that we're not going to sit on the sidelines anymore and just come in here and attend church a couple days a week. That we want to be an active participant in establishing your kingdom in the earth. Today, God, we ask you to burden our hearts with a, with a passion for souls. That when we see the world around us, let us see them the way you see them. Give us a heart of compassion. Take our heart of stone and make it soft and supple again. God, take um, eyes of judgment and make them eyes of compassion today. God, I pray that our heart would break for what breaks yours. That we would not be willing to sit on the sideline and say, man, someone else can minister to them. Oh, the church can do that. No, we are the church, and we have to do it. Today, God, make us aware of the responsibility and the role that we play in making disciples. Holy Spirit, even as we mentioned three, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that even as we're praying right now, that faces and names would flash in front of our spirits, flash in front of our minds today, God. Imprint, ingrain faces in our minds today of people that you have opened the door, that you've given us influence into their lives to disciple them for the kingdom of God. God, I pray that we would be disciple makers. And I thank you that harvest is coming. You said to pray for harvesters. You told us how to pray. Lord, I pray today for harvesters. I pray that everyone in this room would be a harvester. That we wouldn't just be churchgoers. We wouldn't just be church members. We wouldn't just be uh, church alive people. We would be harvesters, God. Make us harvesters today. You said to pray, that you prayed that harvesters would be thrust forth into the harvest. God, so I pray that on their jobs and in the workplace and in school and at the gym and at the grocery store, that everywhere they go, they would be harvesters. They would be disciples who go and make disciples. And I pray that a secondary consequence of that is that the kingdom of God is established in such a way in and through the church alive. That this place is so full of disciples making disciples that we don't have room to contain them all. We're not trying to establish our own kingdom. We're trying to establish your kingdom. And that you said the harvest is plentiful. So I pray that it would be plentiful in this place in Jesus' name. Thank you for an awareness of the, of the Great Commission and a burden for the lost today. A passion for souls in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's worship together.
Listen, we're going to continue to worship and just respond to the Lord. This is my challenge to you this week. When you encounter people and you interact with the world around you, be conscious and be intentional about seeing them the way Jesus sees them and being a harvester. I want to encourage you to look for someone to begin to talk to about the Lord and even invite them to be with you in worship here next week. Look, that's the first easy step. It's just invite someone to come to the house of God and to be in the presence of the Lord. And so, man, I just want to encourage you to be on the lookout for that this week and bring somebody to church with you. Let them hear this goodness of the, of the, the message of Christ and then let's make them a disciple. Amen. So God bless you as you go this week. Let's press into this. An awareness of the Great Commission and a burden for the lost. A heart for souls, a passion for souls. Amen. God bless you today. Speak to me now. Speak to me.